So much for being with us today, Robert. I want to get started um, by talking to you about Pivot Point. So you are the chairman and CEO of Pivot Point International, but not only that, this is your family business. So I want to talk to you about how Pivot Point started um, and then how you kind of came into this industry. Absolutely, Bobby. Uh, I think a little history lesson is probably a good place to start. Uh, my parents are immigrants. Uh, they're both from the Netherlands. And they moved to the United States in December of 58. And my mom and dad actually met in a salon that they both worked at um, in the town that my mom was living in. Uh, the town is called Roermond in the Netherlands. It's in the very south uh, in a province called Limburg. My father was living in Belgium at the time, uh, even though he was born in the Netherlands. Uh, he grew up in Belgium right on the border. And... Um, uh, yeah, you know, my uh, my parents, uh, uh, you know, the, the salon was important. My dad is actually second generation. Uh, my grandfather was a barber. And uh, I think, uh, you know, when my father was contemplating what he wanted to do with his life, I think doing hair was probably the furthest thing from his mind. Um, he saw his dad toiling in the barber shop seven days a week. Um you know, never taking vacations, uh, you know, it just seemed like a lot of hard work and uh, didn't really inspire him. But, you know, when it boiled right down to it, and I guess when he got to a certain age, his dad said, you need to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, uh, he decided to take a stab at hairdressing. And I think uh, what he realized quickly on is what he didn't want to do was be a barber and do men's hair all the time. Uh, he liked uh, hairdressing. Uh, he liked the creativity around hairdressing. And, uh, you know, I think where he found his creativity was on the competition circuit. Uh, my father started competing in uh, hairdressing and found that he had a real passion and a real creative knack for uh, doing avant-garde hair, stuff that you couldn't necessarily do behind the chair. And, uh, you know, that's where he found his uh, claim to fame, if you will. Uh, he was very good at it. Uh, he won literally hundreds of awards while he still lived in Europe. Uh, he was a member of the Dutch uh, Olympic hairdressing team and uh, won gold in that. And uh, through competition is how he was actually discovered and how he made his way across the Atlantic to the United States. There was a hairdresser here in Chicago uh, by the name of Pierre-André who owned a chain of salons, and he would go to Europe every year uh, to seek out talent. And uh, he would visit competition arenas, and that's how uh, he found my father. That's and, really um, incredible. And so what year was that that he moved here? Uh, December of 58 is when they moved to the United States. Okay. Uh, he had a two-year contract to work for this gentleman. Um, so my uh, parents uh, actually got married. They weren't married yet. <laughs> my mom's parents, my grandparents said, listen, if you're moving to the United States with this young man, you need to be married first. <laughs> it's actually so, it's a fair they... request. 
and they quickly got married uh, um, and uh, took a ship, uh, like many immigrants, um, from Rotterdam uh, to the U.S. I think their first stop was uh, well, they actually made a stop in the U.K., I think, and then the first stop on this side was in Halifax, Canada, and then they dropped down to New York City, uh, where they went through Ellis Island, um, you know, just like many immigrants that came to this country, and um, spent the night in New York, and uh, the next day they flew to Chicago from New York City and uh, were picked up by uh, this gentleman by the name of Pierre-André. And that's, so that's really how it got started, how my parents came to this country. Uh, just like many immigrants, uh, the United States was a land of opportunity. And uh, my parents came here with all of their belongings in one trunk and $75 in their pocket and uh, wanted to make a go of it, you know. And I think like many immigrants, they weren't sure uh, if they'd ever see their families again. Um, coming from small communities, uh, my parents were pretty pretty rural. Uh, you know, these were farming communities, if you will, and uh, you know, so they weren't really sure if they would see their uh, families again. But of course, my dad was extremely successful. Um, you know, built a, a large clientele over that two-year period of time that he worked for Pierre. Um, and it's interesting because when my parents moved to Chicago. Um, they have not moved more than two miles from either their home or their business since the time they landed here. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty neat story. I think the first thing my dad did was buy my mom a television with his first paycheck um, so that she'd have something to do and uh, so she'd learn some English. And it's funny because uh, my mom actually learned to speak English by watching a show called I Love Lucy. Oh my and gosh. If, if, if you've ever watched that television <laughs> yeah. show and you see Lucille Ball's mannerisms, my mother is the spitting image of Lucille Ball. <laughs> it, it, the way she speaks, uh, the, you know, she's hilarious. Uh, and yeah, that's how she learned how to speak English. In fact, until I was five and went to kindergarten, my first language was Dutch. So um, wow. I didn't speak a lot of English until I went to kindergarten because you know, that was not my parents' first language. I think my dad knew enough English to get by in the salon. And obviously, speaking to his clients every single day, he picked up the language language pretty quickly. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of the start uh, of how my parents came to this country. And then, of course, um, after he completed his two-year contract, he decided to go off on his own. He opened up his own salon in the North Shore of Chicago in Glencoe. And what was that uh, he did called? that for what a while. Was his first salon? I believe it was called Franz and Leo. Okay. Uh, he had a partner uh, by the name of Franz Wagner. And a lot of this history, and, and your listeners might find this interesting, uh, if you go to Pivot Point's website, pivot-point.com, there's a really uh, interesting documentary on my father's life. I watched life. it. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, it was actually, yeah, it was produced by my brother-in-law, John Burnin, who's an Emmy Award-winning producer, and it's just a really neat story about uh, uh, an immigrant uh, that comes to this country and makes uh, a a successful career in life for himself and his family. Yeah, and, and I wanted uh, to talk to you about this because, like, when you were mentioning it and, like, bringing up where your parents met and where your mom met or where they, your parents had met in the Netherlands, I was going to ask you, so what was her – was she – she was doing hair at the time when he started competing. Um, did she just kind of, you know, decide that that's not the route she wanted to go anymore? Or what was her role in this? 
Well, it's interesting. My mom was never a hairdresser. Uh, when she and my father met, she was working in the salon as a receptionist okay. and as a makeup artist and oh, cool. uh, makeup consultant. And, uh, uh, you know, it was interesting. She said when she heard about my dad coming to work for this very well-known salon in her hometown, uh, she had heard about this gentleman because he had won all these competitions and everything. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how they got to meet. I think my mom was only, uh, 13 or 14 at the time. Uh, my dad was four years older. Um, I think, uh, my, uh, mom got married when she was 18 and my dad was 22. I guess that was pretty common back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how they met. So my okay. mom was never a hairdresser. Okay. My mom always jokes, uh, uh, you know, she would tell my dad, you know what, you work, I work out, you know, um, <laughs> she, she has a big thing for the gym. She spends a lot of time in the gym. Even, uh, even today, uh, she'll be, uh, 80 next year. She spends wow. three hours in the gym every day, uh, day lifting weights and uh, running and she stays in pretty good shape. If you looked at her, you'd never realize that she was, uh, nearly 80 years old. So, that is uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so she yeah. kind of was, <laughs> you know, a little bit, I'm sure, behind the scenes and all of this stuff with your dad um, being so well-known. And then obviously we'll get into kind of what happens um, next with the company. But, I mean, she was raising, she was raising you guys, right? Yeah, well, you know, like I said, they came here in 59. I was born in August of 1960, so uh, shortly after they arrived. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she had her hands full, uh, obviously raising two kids. Uh, you know, I think uh, she had a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a lot of confidence in my father. You know, my, I think one of the things that my dad wanted to do even before he got into hairdressing is he wanted to explore the world. And I think he found through hairdressing that he could do that. And uh, obviously, Pivot Point's in 88 countries today, so um, he did a pretty good job of exploring the world and finding distributors and so on. And uh, yeah, she just had a lot of confidence in him. And, you know, moving to the United States was sort of a natural thing. You know, he said, well, if he wants to do that, then I'll I'll tag along and I'm sure everything will be great. That's incredible. And obviously, uh, it turned out that way. Yeah. So. So then how, so he had a salon that he then opened on his own. So when did Pivot Point happen? Well, you know, he started competing again when he moved to America. And uh, it was on the competition circuit. He did really well. Uh, he's the only person, I believe, from what I understand, that was ever on two Olympic teams from two different countries. He was on the Dutch Olympic team. And then when he moved to the United States, he eventually uh, was a member of the U.S. Olympic team and eventually even became the trainer of the U.S. Olympic team. And it was through competition that people would ask, wow, you're so talented. How can I uh, learn to do the type of work that you're doing? And so he started teaching classes on the weekends uh, when he wasn't doing clients in the salon. And, um, and then people would say, well, wow, um, do you think you could do a book, you know? Um, and, you know, through that process, I think, is how Pivot Point got started. In fact, in November of 62, um, he founded Pivot Point. He started his very first uh, class of students. I think it was five students um, that were in his very first class. And, uh, yeah, that was the start of Pivot Point Beauty School. And then, of course, over the course of time, uh, we became very well-regarded um, publishing company in our industry. We were producing education. 
uh, not only for schools in the U.S., uh, but for schools around the world. And, um, yeah, that just, uh, that's kind of how it got started uh, with that class of five students. Today, uh, Pivot Point trains nearly 200,000 students a year in 88 different countries around the world. Uh, so we touch a lot of people, and so That's from really very awesome. humble and beginnings. I, love, I really love that it started with somebody being like, "Well, can you teach me how to do this? Can you can you write the book?" I would love to see like what the beginnings were like um, for him. I mean, it's it's crazy, and the talent that I think I don't know. There's just certain people that have this thing, and I think that through watching that documentary, it like really opened my eyes to like obviously like your dad had something very different, like something very special that he was able to create and kind of draw attention to this positive side of the industry that, I mean, most people weren't aware of. And so I think it's really cool that that's, he was just kind of open to what was going to happen next. It seems like he wasn't like, here's my life plan and I'm going to do this, this, this. It all kind of just happened in the way of like, he was going to be good at, you know, at, obviously good as an Olympian uh, um, at doing hair and then going on to then, you know, have this education. So it's really, I don't know. I think that it's an important message to kind of stay open because, you know, you never know which way life is going to take you and what opportunities are going to open. But I think it's really great that he just kind of took the opportunities that came his way. Um, so I think absolutely. that's really awesome. Um, yeah, okay, absolutely. so then you come into the business when? I want to talk about where you were at in your life when you decided to come into this career also. I mean, is this something that you always knew that you loved? Did, is this a passion for you, or how did that happen? Not at all. I'm sure, uh, just like my father, uh, it wasn't my first choice. Uh, you know, I grew up around it, obviously. Uh, you know, when people ask me how long I've been in the business, I basically give them my birth year because um, <laughs> when you grow up in a family business, uh, you're around it all the time, right? Yeah. I remember my dad taking me to trade shows when I was just barely could walk, you know. Uh, those are the earliest memories I have of uh, the beauty industry. Uh, and also, you know, because my parents uh, were European, uh, my father would bring European hairdressers over to teach classes for him, and he would put them on tours around the United States. So we had people staying in our house. Um, it wasn't even a house. We rented the second floor of a house, so it was a small little apartment, if you will. And we had these internationally famous hairdressers that would just crash on the couch and, 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 and spend a weekend with us. And, uh, you know, so I grew up around it, and... Uh, I don't think it was until college probably that I decided uh, that maybe I'd make a career out of it. Um, you know, one of the prerequisites uh, was going to beauty school. I'm not sure why uh, at the time, uh, but my parents said, listen, we want you to go to beauty school. Uh, you'll always have a license that you can fall back on and make a living if something else doesn't work out. So I went to beauty school in high school, uh, just like my sister did. Um, we did a high school program, so it took uh, a little over two years uh, to get through the program. We went uh, on Saturdays during high school, and then, of course, during the summer months uh, when we were off for summer vacation. And, uh, you know, that's where I guess I got my feet wet in the beauty industry. And that's probably at the time when I said, no, I absolutely do not want to be a hairdresser. Um, but, you know, I, I enjoyed the outdoors. Um, you know, um, and I always thought I'd be like uh, uh, a park ranger or a, a 
in wildlife management or fisheries or something along those lines. And I remember my dad coming down to uh, my university. I went to the University of Florida, and uh, I think that was in my second year of school. And he was asking me, have you kind of decided what you want to do? Um, it's time to get serious here, son. And, uh, you know, I decided, you know what? Um, my dad convinced me that there wasn't a lot of money to be made uh, in any of the occupations that I was pursuing that maybe I might want to consider coming to work for the family business. And at that point, um, I got serious with my college studies, uh, decided to go for a business degree and see uh, if I couldn't get involved in the family business that way. And so did uh, you yeah, always that's, uh, know that like the business part of it was what was going to be attractive to you or that that was what you were going to do. I mean, you obviously you had cosmetology behind. I mean, were you still doing hair in college at this point? Like what did you ever like touch hair again after that? Well, it's interesting you asked the question. Um, I remember when I graduated from beauty school, one of my teachers told me, Robert, I know you don't love hairdressing, but do me a favor. When you go off to college, this is a good way to make some extra money. Don't wait tables in a restaurant. Don't work at a gas station pumping uh, pumping gas back in the day when you still did that. And, of course, the two things she told me not to do are the two things that I ended up doing. I worked at a gas station. <laughs> I met one of my best friends, uh, you know, while I was going to college in Florida, and I, I, I uh, bust tables and eventually waited tables uh, at a restaurant. And it wasn't until my second year of college when I met uh, a new roommate, and we decided we wanted to rent a house outside of Gainesville, Florida. It was uh, a home that was actually owned by the Boy Scouts. So it was an interesting story. Um, it was a house on a lake on 60 acres, and we were paying $300 a month. So it was what? $150 each. It was oh dirt cheap. And uh, I got the bright idea at the time because my friends would come out on the weekends, and we'd have these great big college parties, you know. Everyone wanted to hang out at our place. Yeah, we had it this sounds amazing. Lake. And um, I got the bright idea, you know, why don't I take my teacher's advice and do some hair? So I set up shop. Uh, out in the lake of all places. I took a bar stool from the house. I stuck it out in the lake off the, off the beach that we had. And my clients would sit on this bar stool in the water with their neck just above the water. And I would cut hair all weekend long. And I was doing 20, 30 customers every single weekend. What? And my, yeah, my parents were paying for my college, obviously. So this was just bar money, if you will. Wow. And uh, I was getting $20 for a haircut. This is back in 1980, 1981. So that was pretty good money yeah. uh, at the time. And, uh, yeah, I did that for probably a good year um, until I realized that standing in the water uh, six, eight hours a day wasn't doing a lot for my skin. And, um, you know, uh, that was the extent of my hairdressing career. But, oh you know what? Oh, my gosh. I love I tell that. this story to a lot of beauty school graduates uh, because it's important, I think, that you find a niche, you know, something that you're good at. Obviously, uh, I wasn't a great hairdresser, but the concept uh, went over really big with my friends. You know, they had a, a table that was in the water they could stick their beer bottle on. They got their hair cut. I didn't have to sweep the hair because it all floated oh. away. Don't tell environmental people this. That is but, the you brilliant know, it, part of this. And I'm like, I can't. I was just thinking as you're talking. I'm like, oh, this I didn't even need a shampoo bowl. I just... <laughs> Dip their head in the water, right? I mean, didn't even need a water bottle. It's so, uh, really yeah, smart. But, 
It really is. I just imagine the people that were like, wait, where do you want me to go? Like, where do you want me to go? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it became so popular. I mean, every single weekend uh, I was, you know, doing 20, 30 uh, customers on a weekend. Oh, my gosh. I really love that. I stayed very busy. (laughs) (laughs) So you So, yeah, that was the extent of my hairdressing career. But I knew uh, doing hair wasn't something that I would be good at, Uh, unlike my father, who had a a real creative talent. um, I didn't have that side of the brain. And uh, I didn't really uh, understand my father's business uh, until he came down to Gainesville that year and said, son, this is what we do. Uh, This is where I think you could fit in. And uh, yeah, and that's when I made the decision to uh, uh, get a business degree and come back and work for the family business. So So, what did Pivot Point look like at the time that you came in? So first day... Um, you know, you're in the family business now. You like get to work. What did what did Pivot Point look like? Well, um, we had a beauty school. Um, so just like uh, you know, you work for Adam uh, at Tennessee School of Beauty. We had we had a beauty school as well. I think we had probably 150 students at the time. Um, my dad did a lot of advanced classes, so they uh, had a circuit where they were doing classes all over the country with a whole slew of educators. Uh, so that was part of the business. I knew my dad had these products that he had developed, you know, mannequins that people would practice on. Um, uh, you know, roller sets were big in the day. My dad had invented the cone-shaped roller. Uh, you know, so we had all these tools, combs, brushes, and things that were branded Pivot Point. Um, so I knew we did all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, just like uh, anyone getting involved in their family's business, you know, my dad wanted me to learn a little bit about everything. So he put me in the school right away. And I worked in admissions. I worked in financial aid. I worked in student services. I worked uh, as a receptionist. I worked in the dispensary. You know, all the things that um, I think anyone that grows up in this business uh, gets to experience. And I remember my dad hiring someone uh, to run uh, the school. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He lasted all of three weeks. And my dad said, son, it's your time. I want you to run the school. And I'd only been out of beauty school, I think, for less than a year or out of college for less than a year. And so um, I wasn't sure I was ready for it, but I thought, okay, I'll take the challenge. And uh, my dad had a partner at the time by the name of Grace Duran and her husband, Buddy Francis, um, uh, were working for my father, and she really took me under her wings and uh, really mentored me through the process. And I think that's really how um, I got my start in the business. My dad was still traveling a lot, so I wasn't getting a lot of mentoring from him, so I had to uh, rely on her. And so I learned the beauty school business from the ground up. Um, I spent several years uh, doing that. Um, I grew our business from about 150 students uh, in three years to almost 800 students in one location. Wow. Uh, we were a typical inner city school. Uh, we were on the north side of Chicago near public transportation, so we brought a lot of students in from all over the city. And uh, I realized quickly when we grew the school so large and with so many uh, ethnicities in the school and everything, I needed a full-time counseling team. I think we had eight full-time counselors at the time, you know, because you're dealing with uh, young individuals, uh, you know, with diverse backgrounds. Um, 
you know, the concept of loan repayment, for example, was very foreign because a lot of these kids came from generations of welfare and they didn't have any concept of repayment. And so we, uh, we grew that school to 800 students and then we opened up a second location. Our schools were really used for research and development. Uh, we had a school program by that time um, called our member school program. So we were actually providing curriculum and curriculum support to schools around the country. And so we used our schools primarily for research and development. As we were producing programs, uh, we would test them out uh, in our school first. And if they were successful there, then we would turn them loose uh, to our clients around the country and then eventually uh, into other countries as well. So yeah, that's kind of how I got my start in the business. And uh, you know, um, I have two boys, actually, uh, that are in the business today. I have three kids. Uh, one is uh, not in the business. My daughter actually works for a digital publishing company in New York City. And uh, my two boys uh, have their business degrees and work for me in the company. So uh, we have a, a family employment policy, if you will, that my sister and I developed many years ago that sort of set the uh, groundwork for what it would take for uh, the next generation to get involved in the family business. Uh, so we had a number of prerequisites. One was you had to go to beauty school. So just like my sister and I had to go to beauty school, uh, my kids who were interested in the business had to do the same. So both of my sons actually have their hairdressing licenses. Uh, they both have their degrees in business. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how the legacy continues. So <laughs> I really love that. And I think it's so important. I think it just sets, um, companies apart when they're family owned. I mean, I think that there's, you're lucky when you find employees that treat companies as their own, but when it is family, I think that it's just a little different. There's just that heart behind it. And I think that you have to have that. Um, just you talking about you growing the business to what it is now. Um, it is really crazy. I mean, do you ever have those moments or did you get to have those mo moments before your dad passed away that you got to kind of have these celebrations with him to be like I can't believe this is happening like look at what you know what I mean like did you guys get to have that time absolutely uh, you know I think uh, you know the the business is part of your life cycle and uh, you know you have uh, wins and losses uh, throughout that business cycle and, um, of course, we would celebrate that um, as uh, the time went on. Um, I think we've taken the business to a whole nother level uh, since then. Um, I, I, I like to think that my dad's looking down, smiling, saying, wow, great job, son. Uh, you know, you're taking the business to a new, whole new level. Uh, and, and, and my boys are doing the same thing. And, uh, yeah, you know, um, I think my father uh, – I think he had the foresight years ago uh, uh, to get my sister and I involved in a program at Loyola University called the Family Business Center. I think it was the very first university that offered training for family businesses. And he had heard the statistics, you know, that uh, businesses uh, going from first generation to second generation fail at a pretty high rate. And businesses that go from a second generation to a third generation fail at an even higher rate. And he didn't want to be that statistic, so he got us involved in that. 
both my sister and I went through a program called uh, the Next Generation Leadership Institute, uh, which is sort of like an MBA for family businesses. Wow. Uh, my oldest son is actually going through that right now. Uh, you know, you get involved with other family businesses, businesses that start, you know, maybe at $10 million a year to businesses that are 2 or $3 billion a year. And they all have the same issues, you know. And I think learning best practices from other family businesses that help them succeed um, really helped us to uh, succeed as well. And, um, you know, so that's sort of foresight because, you know, my dad never finished high school. You know, he was a hairdresser. And my sister and I were the first to go off to college and get our degrees, you know. So for him, obviously, education was very important. That's the business that he started. And um, I think, you know, uh, learning uh, from others and, you know, obviously, he learned the hard way uh, through trial and error. Um, but, you know, listen, uh, a college degree doesn't actually tell you everything that you're going to need to know to succeed in life. And um, I think you know that uh, just like anyone that goes off to college, right? Um, uh-huh. You learn by trial and error. You learn by failing. And uh-huh. I think my dad was really good about allowing us to fail, you know. And I think that's pretty typical of an entrepreneur who starts his own business. He had to fail many times. Uh, before he was successful. And I think he felt that my sister and I needed to do the same thing. And so we were fortunate enough to uh, have a father that allowed us to do that. Yeah. Are there any business practices, any things that the the way that he kind of ran things operated that you still um, keep to this day? I mean, is there something you're like, dad always said, and I've, you know, you've got to keep going with it. Is there a legacy there that he's left? Well, I think my dad's biggest uh, legacy, and and you hear this from people that knew my father, uh, obviously, uh, he was my father first and my boss second. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, growing up in a family business, you have to try and figure out how to separate those two things. But I think the one legacy that my father left behind was his humility. Uh, Most people talk to him. Uh, talk to me about his uh, humbleness, you know, that he was such a kind and caring individual. And I think, I think when you're involved in education, um, that's, that needs to be part of who you are, uh, is, is to be a giving individual. I think my father enjoyed giving his education away in poor third world countries than he did uh, selling his education to uh, schools and businesses that could afford it. Because, you know, again, I think when you grow up uh, with, uh, you know, uh, with very little, uh, my parents grew up during World War II, so they had nothing. And obviously, I already shared this with you, they came to this country with $75 in their pocket, so it wasn't a whole lot. Um, so I think when my father became successful, uh, he was able uh uh, he was a very benevolent individual and, and just gave a lot, uh, gave a lot to the industry, gave a lot to charity. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the, the legacy that I'd certainly like to leave behind as well, um, you know, is to pass those same learnings on to my kids that uh, he passed on to me. And, um, yeah, I think the rest kind of follows in place if you're a nice person people like doing business with you. So I agree. And even just hearing you say like how humble he was, I know that this is, it's like hard when it's, you know, it's yourself or whatever, but I, I mean, even meeting you in Vegas, like I was like, 
oh, he's just so nice. Like, he's so normal. Like, it wasn't like a weird <laughs> interaction. But I think that you have that presence about you as well, where you're very welcoming and just very calm and, and all of that. So I definitely think that you have some of that in you as well. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Uh, I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yes. So. <laughs> um, now, with your children coming into the company, um, do you, how much do you how much do you let them run? I mean, you had mentioned, you know, that your dad knew that you needed to make some mistakes, and how much do you, you know, kind of get ready for with that? Are you ready for failure with them? As far as like making mistakes, not failure, obviously, but with making mistakes, or are you kind of are you kind of above them? Like, no, don't do this. Don't do this. What's your, what's your role there? Well, it's interesting. One of the things I decided early on is I did not want to have the same relationship that I had with my father, uh, that I wanted to have with my sons. Um, I actually reported to my father, uh, throughout my career. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, uh, I took on a leadership role shortly after college. And so I reported into my father pretty much from day one until the day my father passed away. In fact, I tell this story all the time. I was still receiving emails from my dad about the business the night he passed away in the hospital. So wow. that's how connected he was to his business. And I didn't want to have that same sort of relationship with my boys. So I told them early on, I said, you can come and work in the family business, but you won't report to me. You'll report to someone else in the business. Now, obviously, the business is much bigger today than it was when I got involved uh, in the family business uh, back in the early 80s. And so, you know, uh, there are a lot more people that uh, my kids can report into. And so, but, you know, I think uh, my senior leadership team knows that um, any employee, it's not just my own kids, uh, have the opportunity uh, to make mistakes. You know, you learn from it and you grow from it. And um, obviously you want to try to keep those to a minimum and you want more successes than failures. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I encourage my uh, kids to take risks, you know, uh, just like my father took risks and he encouraged me to take risks. I think that's how you learn and that's how you grow your business. If, you, if you're not willing to take risks, uh, then you'll always remain small. And that's okay too. I have always told my kids, listen, if you want to run beauty schools and that makes you happy, you can make a very good living doing that. Um, but if you want something more out of life and you want to grow your business and um, give to more people, then I think uh, you have to be willing to take those risks. And, uh, you know, they've had their share of uh, successes and failures. I think they've had a lot more successes, um, obviously, and I'm extremely proud of them. Um, I think every parent's dream uh, that owns a family business is to have their kids um, carry on that family legacy. Uh, my kids grew up around my dad. Uh, you know, he, they, they went to trade shows with him just like I did when I was little. Mm -hmm. you know, I think they were very proud of uh, the business that my father started, and I think they're ready to carry on the torch as well, you know, so uh, I'm very proud of them. That's awesome. I mean, it's not always an, an easy thing to navigate. And I think that you seem to do it um, in a way that's so positive for them too, which in turn is obviously, you know, positive for the business. So what do you see next for the company? I mean, is it more of a role with your kids and you kind of stepping back? Like what, what's next for the family? Well, it's interesting, you know, um, that you asked the question. Uh, I've made it pretty clear to the boys that, uh, 
Uh, they've got a good 10 years left in me uh, before I'd like to start taking it a little easier and spend some more time with my wife. My wife and I will be married 37 years in December. Oh and congratulations. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm fortunate I found the right one the first time. Yeah. And she keeps me grounded. And um, I, I tell everyone, uh, my kids turned out the way they did because of her. You know, just like my dad, I was traveling a lot. Uh, so I wasn't always around for all of the uh, athletics that they were involved in and so on and so forth. So she gets all the credit for raising three great kids. But, um, you know, yeah, just, uh, uh, you know, I said, listen, I, I said to my senior leadership team, uh, I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be 69 in 10 years. So let's say 70 is when I want to uh, start spending more time. I don't want to work until the day I pass away like my dad did. I think there's a lot more to life uh, than just running your business. Uh, you know, so I want to spend time with my wife. Um, so, you know, I told my senior leadership team, let's make sure that my boys uh, have good mentorship in the next five years and that they have leadership roles in the business in the remaining five years that I'm still around so that, uh, you know, if they have questions about the business that are unique to the family side of the business, uh, that they have an opportunity to discuss those with me while I'm still here. And, uh, you know, that's the ideal plan. You never know what happens in life, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I think making plans uh, are extremely important, setting up systems in your business uh, that allow you to be successful and to succeed are the best way. Um, and, you know, so I think everyone kind of knows what my plan is, and uh, hopefully they'll step up to the plate. And, um, you know, I've always told them, listen, you don't have to run the business to be business owners. You know, if, if you don't want to be the CEO like your dad, and I kind of fell into this position, obviously, after my dad passed away, uh, you don't have to. You can hire someone to do that, you know. Uh, there's plenty of things um, that you can do. And I think the key to success is just being happy with whatever it is that you do. You know, I never forced my kids into the family business. Um, it was their decision. Um, I've always told my kids, choose something that's going to make you happy in life. You know, be passionate about what you do, whatever that is, regardless of how much money you make or how little money you make. Uh, I think it's most important to be happy. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the plan. Oh, I love it. Uh, you got 10 years left in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to see if you go back to cutting hair in a lake. That's kind of what I want. That's the answer I was looking for is that we we're going to get this lake salon. Everyone can come visit. <laughs> Well, you're more than welcome to come visit me if I decide to do that. So. I love it. Well, I just have one more question for you. What advice do you have for somebody that is in beauty school currently? You know, Bobby, uh, our programs are fairly short in duration, you know, um, usually less than a year, depending on what route you take, whether you uh, want to do hair, whether you want to do skin, whether you want to do nails. Um, Take advantage of the time that you're in school. You know, learn as much as you can. And today, uh, you know, with the tools that we make available to students, you know, unlike uh, when I went to beauty school, um, uh, we learned on film strips and audio cassettes. Um, uh, today, you know, everything is online. Uh, there's access to so much content out there. Um, you know, 
absorb as much as you can while you're in school. And then while you're in school, figure out what it is that you want to do. You know, you don't have to stand behind the chair the rest of your life to be successful. There's so many career opportunities in our industry. I do recommend you get your feet wet, just like I did. Uh, I literally got my feet wet uh, <laughs> in the lake. But, you know, I think standing behind the chair and doing some hair uh, is a great thing. I talk to so many students who want to be their own business owners, which I think is great, but don't do that the day you get out of school. Go work for someone first. Make mistakes on their dime. You know, Learn as much about the business as you can. You know, I think we hear a lot about independent contractors and booth rental today. You know, maybe that's the American way, right? You know, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to be their own boss. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I think learn as much as you can. Uh, you know, my, my father always said, listen, uh, the day you start school is not uh, the last time uh, you will need education. Uh, you will need education throughout your life. Uh, lifelong learning uh, was sort of his mantra. And I think in order to be successful, you need to learn uh, every step along the way. So if you can go work for a salon that has a training program when you graduate, I think you can learn a lot through that process uh, that will sustain you for the rest of your career. So learn as much as you can while you're in beauty school and then keep learning from the day you graduate. And uh, I have no doubt uh, that uh, they will be successful. Thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you to our sponsor, Tennessee School of Beauty. You can visit them at www.tennesseeschoolofbeauty.com. You can follow them at TN School of Beauty on Instagram and Facebook, and don't forget to follow me at beautyschoolbobby underscore podcast, and visit our website, beautyschoolbobby.com, where you can listen to all of our episodes. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, bye. <laughs>